This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next. When COVID's around, it seems no one, except perhaps the president, is to be blamed for anything. When the grocery store strawberries are rotten, it's COVID's fault. When class is missed, it's COVID's fault. When homework's left undone, it's COVID's fault. Well, that's the way things are going in Washington too. The department's own national assessment of educational progress, the nation's report cards not to be administered this coming year, it's COVID's fault. Even though it's a low states test, it's uh, really too hard to do in the midst of a pandemic, the government has decided. And it's not at all clear that the US Department of Education is going to ask states to administer their own accountability examinations. So it's in this context that Chester Finn, the former assistant secretary of education and a senior fellow at both the Fordham Institute and Stanford's Hoover Institution has prepared a report on school accountability, which has recently been released by the Hoover Institution. I'm very pleased to have with me, Dr. Chester Finn, his friends and colleagues call him Checker, uh, with me on the Education Exchange. So Checker, thank you for joining me today on the it's a pleasure, Paul. Nice to be with you again. Well, Checker, uh, before turning to your report, let me ask you first what's on the minds of our listeners. Uh, what's going to happen with the uh, federal guidelines to the states? Uh, the, the law says every state has to uh, test their students each year. Are they going to do that in 2021? A really good question with not a clear answer at this moment. In, in last year, 1920, sorry, 2020, uh, Secretary DeVos gave the states the option of wa waivers from their annual testing in the spring of 2020, and they all took advantage of that because the kids weren't in school, and it's hard for states to test kids if they're not actually physically in school. Nobody's figured out, apparently, how to do that remotely or how to trust the, 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 the test results, though, though the College Board does it, incidentally, for many of its tests. But, but as for 21, Secretary DeVos has so far said that states should plan to give the mandatory grades three through eight reading and math tests in 2021 as required under federal law. Um, what I think is, is a big open question is when the Biden administration uh, enters um, next month, uh, will Biden's secretary of education, whomever that turns out to be, offer waivers and will states take advantage of them again? And the answer is uh, yes. I, that will be a problem for American education if that turns out to be yes. Let's incidentally, let's put on the table the fact that when waivers are available, it does not mean that states have to take them. So you could have a spotty, a spotty pattern in 21 where some states test and others don't. That's interesting enough. Well, let's place all of that in the context of your report. By the way, your report reads like the painting by the French artist Paul Gauguin which is entitled, where do we come from? What are we, where are we going? It's this really what you just did in this report. You did a, a beautiful painting and you have given us the, uh, a remarkably informative information about school accountability, past, present, and future. So thank you for that contribution. Well, you're very kind. I, I do not have any voluptuous uh, paintings in the report, however, as Gauguin usually put into his work. Well, you know, you can't have everything. Let me first ask you about the past. So yes. uh, 
you know, it began with the states, it went on to No Child Left Behind. Uh, what are the key takeaways from the past? What, what did we learn? What, what do we need to take into account as we move forward? Well, arguably, this goes back even farther to the Coleman Report in the 1960s, which began to make the country look for school results rather than just school inputs and school services and, and school promises. And as we've gotten deeper and deeper into looking at schools according to what's coming out of them, in other words, what kids are learning or not learning in them, uh, we've gotten more and more forceful as a society about checking to see whether kids are learning what they ought to be learning and trying to do something in situations where it's evident that they are not. And so school accountability, which you can also call results-based accountability, has been accumulating in this country, I would say since the 1960s. And uh, we've learned that it works, actually. We've learned that uh, when there is an accountability regime in place, joined to academic standards and good tests, and then interventions in the case of schools that aren't doing well or, or, or choices for kids that wanna get out of the bad schools, uh, results improve. There is evidence domestically, internationally too, by the way, even before No Child Left Behind, during No Child Left Behind, and a little bit of evidence since since No Child Left Behind was reformed five years ago, it works. We should keep doing it. Well, so now a lot of people say our educational system hasn't improved for 50 years. So why do you say it works when there's so many critics out there that are saying the United States is still way behind other countries around the world and they haven't made much progress in recent times? Well, we're certainly behind a lot of countries. Uh, we have new TIMS data out just a few days ago that shows that all over again on the international front. Um, but we have had improvements. We've had um, improvements uh, among poor kids and minority kids, especially in the early grades, more in math than in reading. We don't have nearly the improvements that we need in terms of especially uh, high school outcomes uh, and, and high school learning and 12th graders. But the improvements have been there. They're not what we'd like, but if we hadn't had the accountability regime and the choices that have come along with, with it, I believe we would have had even less improvement. Well, this is probably true. Uh, and it is uh, worth noting that the accountability regime is the weakest in the high schools. We do a much better job of testing kids in fourth grade and eighth grade than we do after that. That's correct. Uh, we, we tend to hinge the high school accountability on things like graduation rates, and it's easy to fake those. Uh, it's easy to push kids through to diplomas who haven't learned anything. Uh, and we have a lot of evidence that the 12th grade results um, are the flattest of all, the least improved of all, when it comes to actual evidence of learning. And yes, the accountability regime at the, at the high school level doesn't work very well, at least not, not in relation to student achievement. It works according to other things that are more gameable and manipulable. But you know, one thing that we did learn from NCLB is that it was a very unpopular law eventually. It was, no piece of legislation that I can think of was so popular when it was initially uh, 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 put into place by a bipartisan movement in Congress and supported by uh, Senator Kennedy and by George W. Bush. Uh, and, and there seemed to be everybody behind it right off the bat. And then true. in five years, it was, it was falling apart. Well, there are a couple of reasons for that. It's, it still did some good. I want to underscore that, but as to why it became unpopular, 
Um, it had some rigidities in it that shouldn't have been there in terms of how states were supposed to intervene in, 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 in failing schools. Um, it had a lot of um, metrics in it that caused pretty good schools to be labeled failing. Uh, nobody liked that for their schools that were basically serving most of the kids pretty well. Um, it had over-reliance on testing of just two subjects and not enough of the other things that schools do. So there were reasons why people didn't like it. And then uh, strategically, politically, uh, states probably made a mistake, and, the, and Secretary Duncan did too in the, in the Obama administration, when they started using those same test results to evaluate individual teachers. And much as I like that idea in principle, the teachers hate it. And when the teachers hate it, it gets communicated to the kids and the parents that they should hate it too. And uh, once teachers turned against the testing, uh, I think No Child Left Behind was in trouble. Well, I think that's what uh, teacher organizations were worried about right from the beginning, because they never were that enthusiastic about it. I think, uh, as I recall, Kennedy leaned very heavily on the teacher organizations. It's never really been proven in the public domain, but I think he, he leaned very heavily on them to, to shut up for the time being. So as soon as they saw the opportunity to go after it, I think they seized it. Well, and a little illustration of that is after No Child Left Behind was basically softened by the Every Student Succeeds Act in 2015, the two sponsoring senators of the Every Student Succeeds Act, namely Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray, were given a quote, friend of education award by the National Education Association. <laughs> well, so tell me more about the Every Student Succeeds Act. You know, the main thing I have against it is its title. You know, No Child Left Behind had a ridiculous title. Of course, you can't guarantee success for everybody, but we, they, so they, but they go back and they take another title that's just ridiculously optimistic. Well, we, we, the, the, we know why that happens. Imagine a law that was titled the 70% of Students Succeed Act. Um, just think about the blowback from that. Which 30% which 30 of the kids don't you care about, Senator? <laughs> well, there was one of the laws that has survived on the books since the 1960s was simply called the Elementary and Secondary Education Act of 1965. That's a pretty good title, I'd say. It's kind of blah, but it's neutral. But all of these subsequent laws are the same law with a new name. I mean, they just put a lab new label on the, on the old package. Well, let's get away from labels here. For What does ESSA actually do? How did it change NCLB? And, and why are people happier with that, if they are? Well, the states are happier with it, and the schools are happier with it. What it the biggest change that it made is when schools are identified as not doing a very good job under these transparency rules, and the transparency rules are still there, the testing is still there, the reporting is still there, the uh, documenting of achievement is still there, uh, the, the gaps between student groups is still there. When it becomes clear that schools are not doing a good job, states now have a, basically a free hand as to what, if anything, to do about that problem. So there is no longer a prescription for interventions in schools that is rigid from the national government. So states in effect now deal with the consequences part of it on their own, in their own way, if they want to. And that's both good and bad. That means that uh, 
states that are, take accountability seriously can do it their own way and even be creative about it. And states where the politics don't want to don't want to meddle with bad schools, as in the state where I live, Maryland, um, the it's it's been eased up. It's been eased back. And uh, incidentally, I was on the Maryland State Board of Ed for a term, and I had to deal with the accountability plan under ESSA and uh, the legislature, which is dominated by the teachers union, basically pulled the rug out from under the State Board of Ed and basically said, you can't do anything to those schools. Um, and along the way, I complained to Senator Alexander about this. He's a bit of a friend. Um, and his response was, well, you Marylanders need to elect different legislators. Well, yes, uh, that could be said to a lot of states. Now, my sense of ESSA is that if we look at the national data on the NAEP data, we're finding a very little student improvement, even in elementary school in the period since NCLB sort of, you know, went the way of waivers. And, uh, and it's, it's continued under ESSA. We're, we saw during the early NCLB period some substantial improvement. And you mentioned that earlier, and I agree with you. But it seems to me in the most recent period, say the last 10 years, we haven't seen much improvement at all. And of course, right now, we are at risk of seeing serious decline in student performance. Well, you're right about both of those things. Uh, it's been pretty flat for recent years, and there's serious declines underway right now when kids aren't in school at all uh, in most places or in very many places. Uh, the, the why we're not seeing gains now is still, to me, a bit of a mystery. I don't think it's entirely to do with the accountability regime. I think it also has to do with the limits of the accountability regime. Uh, I think that uh, it, can, it can do some pulling up from the bottom. I don't think it can produce excellence. I don't think it can produce uh, uh, gains among kids that are already kind of at, at the proficient level. I also think that we've neglected a bunch of other aspects of schooling, stuff like curriculum and instruction. Uh, that need to improve also. So I think we might have done what accountability can do. I don't have, think going back to NCLB with its, with its rigorous intervention menu is, is gonna fix what ails us right now. Well, that is the part of the story that's left to be discussed here. And that is what's the future? What should we do going forward? What are you re recommending in this report? Well, the key, if we get beyond ESSA, uh, we do in the report suggest some ways that states can maximize their gains under ESSA. And I, I hope that states will take some of those things seriously. But beyond ESSA, um, I think that uh, uh, instead of this, this notion of uh, simple proficiency left to each state to determine, we should be switching to a readiness for college and career criterion at the end of high school. And then working back from that into the earlier grades and um, with standards and uh, promotion um, and testing and promotion um, requirements that are geared to readiness at the end of high school. Uh, and I also believe that the consequences part of accountability, that is to say, what do you do when the schools are not, are not satisfactory, um, should go on two tracks. One of them involves interventions like we've been trying, but the other one involves school, uh, school choice and involves basically uh, letting kids go to better schools uh, and letting better schools come into existence. And let's, uh, uh, let's use the marketplace to drive some improvements also. 
Well, of course, I am 100% uh, behind the second recommendation, but you do say something in the report about doing examinations in high school at the end of courses. Can you yep. elaborate on that? Yeah, they're called end of course exams and they exist in many places right now, uh, uh, such that if you wanna graduate in Maryland, you have to take an, and pass a state algebra test. Um, and to demonstrate to the state that you know some algebra, not just that you got a passing grade from your teacher. Um, if, uh, if middle schools and high schools especially would uh, require at the state level, the passing of some kind of a uh, end of course exam for key subjects, uh, we would have a lot better evidence than we have today about whether kids, especially in high school are meeting an academic standard of any kind, as opposed to just getting a passing grade from their teacher. Uh, and then doing some kind of, uh, if they don't get a passing grade, some kind of fake makeup exam on, online uh, or makeup course online, the so-called credit recovery. So I think the adding end of course exams along the way is kind of benchmarks toward readiness uh, would be a real benefit. Um, again, especially in high school where we've had the least success. Well, how about the advanced placement examinations? Aren't they doing that job for us? They do a fine job for about a 25, 30% of the kids, um, but those are already kids who basically are succeeding in school and are ready for advanced level work. We don't have anything similar. Well, we used to have, a lot of states used to have minimum competency graduation tests, which a bunch of them have been moving away from in recent years. So. Yeah, and they were never end of course tests either. No, they the weren't. Against them is you couldn't study for them. I always believe in an exam you can study for. And what I liked about the end of course exams or like the advanced placement is you can actually study for that exam. And your teacher in that case, as they say at the college board with respect to advanced placement, the student and the teacher then are on the same team. Uh, they are both trying to get the kid ready to pass that state test, um, as opposed to sort of being uh, enemies uh, with the teacher judging the student. Uh, so I kind of like that too. Um, and yeah, it's uh, like the Olympics. Actually, uh, Al Shanker said that at one time. You know, if you had a test that every just sort of like you have to jump over the bar, uh, well. You know, the coach teaches you how to jump over the bar and yep. everybody is excited when you do it. Teacher becomes the coach and is on your team. And I think that, and the state becomes the enemy. And I think that's fine. And I think that's a good idea. And yes, that is part of the recommendations. I think we should also uh, do that with um, the more vocational courses, the, the uh, technical and vocational courses uh, that we don't have enough of in our high schools because we've been too single-minded about college as the only uh, justifiable outcome for everybody. And that isn't working well either. Well, so a lot of people say that the high school diploma is just turning into uh, a handout. And you mentioned that earlier in, in the conversation. So what can you do about that as part of the accountability system? One of the other papers in this Hoover series is, is by Mackie Raymond, and it uh, deals explicitly with uh, high school graduation and what that should consist of. And I, it's a nice piece of work that your uh, listeners should uh, uh, also have a look at. Um, can make high school graduation hinge on readiness for something that follows, uh, at which point uh, you would make an enormous difference in the high schools. Now you also have a huge political issue there uh, because um, politicians don't want to deny high school diplomas to very many kids. 
and so you put real teeth into the high school diploma and you are either going to have a very long transition period uh, or you're going to have a lot of kids not getting diplomas. And that is unacceptable for legislators and state boards and people like that. So there's the political issue associated with making the high school diploma meaningful. But if we don't, uh, we will continue to graduate kids who haven't learned anything, as we see on the 12th grade NAEP results, and send them on into college ill-prepared to succeed there and into jobs ill-prepared to succeed there. Well, maybe your point is uh, some more basic uh, force, uh, and that is just the American people uh, don't like it when you say to a young person, you failed or you didn't do very well. Everybody's got to succeed. It's like the title of this law. Why is it that we, you know, can it, is it possible we can put together an accountability system that makes sense given sort of the, the democratic character of the society in which this educational system is embedded? I don't know for sure whether there's a positive answer to that important question. Uh, a lot of it really is embedded in our culture, um, which is that schools are supposed to push kids through and be nice to them. And everybody's content with their, most people are content with their own kid's school, even if it's ineffective. And most people think their own kid is getting a good education, even if, even if she's not. Um, and so we have a kind of a level of, um, of complacency and acceptance um, in this culture about the education system that we have. And I don't know that an accountability regime dictated by government can change that. And I also believe that in a free society, a government that tries to do that may get voted out of office um, with or without a valid election. Well, so uh, I wanna ask you this, what, what makes you optimistic as we come out from the end of this bad, that bad year? Uh, it is after all the holiday season. Uh, can we say something that makes us happy about the forthcoming new year? Uh, well, we're gonna have a new administration in Washington and a new Congress. I hope that makes uh, some things better. We're gonna have new uh, governments in a lot of states. I hope that makes some things better. But on the education front, um, we've had a lot of schools, many of them charter schools incidentally, but also a lot of small school districts that have done a very agile and effective job of adapting to the COVID situation and producing high quality online education. Um, at, at the Fordham Institute, we did a very good report on a bunch of charter networks that have, uh, that have been nimble and flexible and smart um, about how to change their mode of education delivery and it's been working. I talked to somebody the other day that sends their, their kids to a little school district in rural New Hampshire. Everybody's in school there. They're socially distanced and they're masked, but the teachers are there, the kids are there. Um, it's working. It can work. Um, it's We've got a lot of resistances in the system that either just looking out for adult interests or don't want it to work, but it can work. I think when we get some vaccines in people's arms, it's going to start working in a lot more places. And we've got a lot more oomph behind the idea of getting kids back into school. Uh, which I think is going to make a big difference for a lot of the things that are going wrong today. It's not going to solve all our education problems, but it's going to deal with the most acute issues today, which your kids aren't learning because they can't learn at home for various reasons. Well, uh, Checker, this has been a remarkable conversation. Uh, 
you're uh, right along with the uh, excellent report that the Hoover Institution has just released entitled School Accountability uh, Past, Present, and Future. Thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. It's a pleasure. Nice to be with you, Paul. All the best. I have been speaking with Chester Finn, uh, former Assistant Secretary of Education and a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. He is the author of the Hoover Report, School Accountability, Past, Present, and Future. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. We release a new podcast on the Education Next website every Monday at noon. Thank you for joining me.